0: hello, kids. Do stop watching Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and come and watch a 400-year-old play about a depressed aristocrat. I mean, it's something you can really relate to. We've got our work cut out. Now the way this works is you force me to watch all kinds of movies and you give me the DVDs and in this case this DVD is actually one of those sort of limited edition ones that they where they uh, put out small numbers of them and this sort would of manufacture really... on demand. Yeah. Uh, okay. So when you came over today to talk about this, I handed you the DVD back. I said, "Take this away." He mm-hmm. said, "That doesn't bode well." And the reason I said that is if I hadn't given it to you right away, I would have stolen it because okay. this is absolutely best film you've ever given me to watch because i loved perfect friday which was the best film you'd ever given me to watch and then i watched this one soon afterwards and it topped it
1: well i'm surprised because i didn't know where this one was going to go i love it uh, but it's not a terribly well-known film the film is in the bleak midwinter um known in america because they were terrified of the word bleak in the title of a film as a midwinter's tale now you say winter's that
0: tale. are you do people in america even know what the word bleak means Oh,
1: imagine this year they don't. Oh my God!
0: What a great line! We could have re- as if we rehearsed it. When you said you didn't know where this is going, you meant in terms of my reaction to it. Yeah, because
1: right. it's it it's a very twee film. Oh, it's not. It's just such a great film. It's it's well it's well meaning. It's got nothing but good intentions, and I really and by like twee it. I suppose you mean like sort of cozy
0: and small
1: and warm. Well, it's
0: and... very middle class. Um, oh. Okay, but what so let's like, talk about yeah. the, what this movie. So this is a movie written and directed by Kenneth Branagh. Yes. And it's about... A, a, but pertinently not starring Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, but I don't think he has that problem, that, that ego problem. I think he's quite happy to be the man on the other side of the camera. In this case, yeah. Well, And, and in other cases too. But So what it's about, is about putting on a shoestring production of Hamlet. One Christmas, th- this, they've got no money... They're doing it in this crazy church in this small town nobody's going to get paid the small town's called hope very symbolically yes. and it's in black and white uh it's beautifully shot in black and white and it's so it's just about this attempt to put on hamlet with this ragtag bunch of eccentric actors and it's a comedy and if that doesn't sound very appealing i would understand that but it's so wonderful i mean i can tell you one reason that i really love this movie is I've written plays for the stage i've had plays on the london fringe i sort of am on the periphery of that world of actors and directors so i know a little bit about what it's like and this just so captures it because these are people who will go to great lengths and make great sacrifices to do what they love which is to act and to do plays and it so wonderfully captures that and it's it's just such a great movie it's got a great heart but that i don't want to make it sound like it's kind of slobberingly sentimental uh, because it's not like that. It's a very brisk, quite bristly kind of black comedy in many ways. B- oh, absolutely. B- no. Because yes. of the, the character, But the characters are beautifully observed. The dialogue is fantastic. For, just to give an example what it's like at the very beginning, I don't know any of these names. I'm hoping you know the names. The, the, the main guy who's the director in it. Uh, Michael Maloney is the actor. Right. And so he's casting this, attempting to cast this, this uh, production of Hamlet that he wants to put on. And he gets this wonderful—you get—it's sort of like one of those montage scenes where you see all the eccentrics who come in to audition for. It. And there's this one girl, and like instead of speaking the soliloquy to be or not to be, she's got it written on this kind of sandwich board that's hanging around her neck, and she does a little interpretive dance instead. Tap I dances mean, it. It's, she does a tap dance while wearing a piece of cardboard
1: with the soliloquy written on it. It's but it's fantastic. Isn't it? I, I don't know if it's her but i'm i'm fairly certain i, actually, I can't remember the actress's name now anyway, yeah. but i'm fairly certain most of those people in that interview are people have gone on to other things or are known for other things yeah um i don't know if you recognize the scottish guy that was doing the um hamlet uh the the Last boy all right that guy
0: <laughs> oh with the hilarious accent yeah, yeah i thought the accent was pretty good
1: actually yeah. that's paddy doyle okay uh, the composer
0: oh are you kidding patrick yeah. doyle who does the music for these yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I say for these, I mean for Browner's films and many others, a very yeah, yeah. great composer of films, film music soundtracks. Yeah, film soundtrack music.
1: Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, a, a cast generally on this film. You, I mean, it's such a strong cast. Now, he, his agent is Joan Collins. Yes. Yeah, just checking. He was really good at it.
0: Everybody's really good at it. Richard Bryars, who I worked with, I always like dropping his names, i worked with on a television show called Doctor Who. Uh, he's fabulous in this.
1: And the reason I pushed this one to the front of the list was because uh, about two weeks, three weeks ago from when we were recording this, John Sessions died.
0: Oh, my God, which one is John Sessions?
1: He's the drag queen.
0: Oh, he's so good in it. I'm so he, sorry he's gone. He, I
1: mean, I think it's his film. I think he's superb. And he and Briar's together are just phenomenal. No, he the, he's the guy whose son suddenly turns up at yes. the
0: end. Yeah, well, it's really touching. I mean, this is one of those movies that it succeeds in being touching. I mean, many movies try to sort of tug the heartstrings, but this does it very adroitly because it's there's so much else going on and it's wonderful. It really captures that whole attempt, that the whole thing about people who are trying to put on a play really cheaply, you know, with no money uh, and it's against all the odds, but it's just great. I loved it. I loved everything about this movie. You
1: no, know, the film itself was a profit share as well. No one got paid until it hit the cinemas and then they got their profit share from that.
0: Did they get any money? Yes. Oh, thank More God. More than they
1: thought they'd get. Great. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a success in those terms. Because Branner had just, yeah, he wanted to do something smaller.
0: Yeah. So, so it was done for a very low cost, so
1: it didn't have to do much business to go into profit. Exactly. Well, that's great. It's just a shame that it never got much of a, a home video or certainly a DVD showing.
0: Well, that's why I had to give you the
1: DVD back pronto, because I would have stolen it. <laughs> when we did the the preview where, where we'd go through a pile of the discs that were coming yeah. up, I said that, because I, up until I about two weeks' time, I've got a publishing company, and I I wanted to move into special edition Blu-rays, DVDs, that kind of I thing. wish you would. And I desperately wanted to do a special edition of this film. Yeah. And I also wanted to do one for Peter's Friends as well, which is another brand of film. Mm. Um, because none of his early stuff has much of a showing on DVD or Blu-ray. Well, don't
0: entirely close the door to that possibility, because I, I would love, on the basis of the movies that you've been foisting upon me, <laughs> I would love to get the Blu-rays from your Blu-ray label. I think you should put that project, you know still consider it a possibility in the future because the, the matt west blu-rays given the sort of list of titles i've had so far <laughs> there would be some amazing movies and like this one why did he shoot it in black and white because that would have been more expensive than color for a start
1: i think I mean, this is only my theory but yeah. i think it's so that he can recreate the look of olivier's hamlet interesting film. yeah uh there is um there's a lot of deep focus photography in this which is unusual Uh, for what is essentially a low-budget film. If you look at the scenes in the uh, restaurant at the very beginning, when he's initially talking to Joan Collins, everything is in focus. And it's throughout the film, it's got deep focus photography. And I suspect that's to give it a stage look, where, as with a stage production, you you choose what you're going to focus on on the stage during a performance. So with the film as well, you choose what you're going to pay attention to in the frame. That said, his frames are very minimal. So he's usually only got what you need in the frame. So in terms of, having actors in the background or any kind of business, that's very unusual in this film. It's usually one shots or two shots. Um, the other thing is is that when you actually get to those sequences where they're, they're either rehearsing or putting on the production of Hamlet, he mimics quite a few of Olivier's shots in that. Ah, OK, and so that
0: makes sense.
1: I think he actually he manages, and I loathe to use the word here because it's one of those film theory dickhead moves, but his use of chiaroscuro in terms of
0: which, by the way, means just means light and shadow.
1: Yeah, he creates... I mean, the performance itself at the end, the, the actual set, when we know what it looks like fully lit, what you get from it, once it's been darkened out and you just light the sections you need, it just looks beautiful.
0: Now, the cinematography is by Roger Lancer, who is a regular collaborator with uh, with Branagh. Brenner. Yeah. So... Is that... Is that Either weird? Jade's
1: hungry or there's a car outside. <laughs>
0: So they, this bunch of eccentrics are against the odds trying to put on this production of Hamlet. Now, very early on, they plant the pop plot point that our hero was uh, in the running for a role in a lucrative science fiction franchise uh, movie. And so I knew right away what was going to happen is that he would get this role and then he'd have to choose between that and doing the play. Yeah. So I saw that coming. Well, like, I... 50 miles off and it does happen that way and of course he does choose the play over you know making millions in this movie
1: eventually uh, eventually well because oh, he does actually go off to do the film but then uh, comes back at the last
0: minute well he changes his mind yeah. he abandons it um, you see I, my problem with that is he shouldn't have done he should have abandoned this little play and, and he should have done that because One of the things that's very true is when he announces that he can't do the play. Like they're just about to open. I think it's Christmas Eve that they're having their opening night in this silly church in in this silly little village to do this silly little production of Hamlet, which everybody's so invested in, and we as the audience are so invested in by now because we care so much about the characters. And he announces that he can't do it because he's got he's got this huge lucrative role. Uh, in a trilogy of science fiction movies, he gets paid even if they don't make the other two movies. He's got to take it, and the rest of the cast look at him and they're stricken. But at the same time, they begin to say, "Well, you've got to do it." And that you—that's the thing about the theatre. That's always happening. You've always got somebody you want in your play, and they're always getting a paying job elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> usually because you're doing things for free. Like I, this is always happening to me because I write plays and I'm always having play readings with these fantastic actors. But very often one of the actors says, I can't do it, I've got a paying job. And I always say, well, of course you. And sometimes they say, I'm not sure I should take the paying job. And I always say, of course you take the paying job. And they all sort of say to him, you've got to take it. And they, they, although
1: they are regretful and reluctant, they really mean it. I think you're crediting his decision as being a professional one, though, or a financial one. When it's not, he goes back because of Nina. OK, so there's there in the cast, there's this
0: character called Nina. Julia Sawala. Oh, well done. Uh, and she is... It's obvious that they're... Well, is it obvious that they're going to have fallen off? It kind of is, because there's a sequence... Quite early on, when she's talking about this guy, Mark, or Martin or something, and he says, oh, who's he? And she says, my husband. Mm. And although there's been no hint of a brewing romance between them, at that moment, you immediately know that his hopes have been dashed. Yes. Even though we've seen nothing and nothing's been hinted at, you know, oh, I suppose it's because we were expecting them to get together because it would make sense in story terms for these two to get together. And then she every night she goes down to the... This is the days before mobile phones. So the only way they can phone home is to go to a phone box, the village phone box. And she goes to the village phone box every night. And we it's very cleverly done. Bran has written a very good story. So we assume she's going to talk to her husband. But then it's revealed later on that her husband's dead. Yeah. And she's actually going to talk to her dad every night. So because her husband's dead, this is rather cruel, but it, it, it means that there's a possibility for a romance between <laughs> between her and our principal protagonist. Julia... I know that name so well. I wanted to see what
1: else she Well, her dad is Nadine Swala, who was in uh, things like License to Kill... No, Living Daylights, I think. And her sister is Nadia Swala. So it's quite an acting family. But Julia Swala was in uh, Absolutely Fabulous. She was the daughter in Absolutely That's Fabulous. That's what I know her from. That um, is what I know her That's completely what I know her from. And she was also in like, quite a few other sitcoms. She worked with Rick and Edmondson a few times as well. Okay.
0: So, I mean, we could resume any time you want. Yeah. When you're ready. Well, I was trying to work out... What what well, where I knew Julia Savala from, so, yeah. and of course it's from Absolutely Fabulous, where she's the she's the um sensible daughter. Yes, but uh, we've got uh, Jennifer Saunders in this movie too. Yes,
1: well I mean they're they're all chums. Yeah, yeah. everyone's in this. Well,
0: movie. what I wanted to say is I couldn't work out whether she's the producer. Is she the producer of the the movie, or is she like the star of the
1: movie? She's Jennifer the, Saunders is the producer. Yeah,
0: she's the producer, big American producer with a rather. Dodgy, I thought Texas accent, but she's brilliant. Like she does some brilliant physical comedy in this, uh, but it's all wonderful, heartwarming. I don't think he, sh- you know, you you say he went back because not for reasons of doing the play, but because he was in love with Julia Savala. Um, I think that's an even even less good reason because in my mind, what would happen is like in about two and a half years' time, they're going to split up, and he's going to think I missed my big chance. And now I haven't got her. I haven't got my big chance. What the fuck was that
1: about? Well, we've seen how he works and we've seen how Tom works, uh, the guy that does get the job. And I don't think it was the job for him anyway. Okay, now, this is another question
0: that wasn't really clear to me. So what happens is the big movie producer turns up at the first night uh, and there's the big reveal that our hero has turned down the role. But does she then hire... uh, Tom, who's this other guy in the play, to to take that role or another... It is that role that he's getting?
1: Yeah, she hires him instead. Okay, Um, And then they obviously have the opportunity, because he's got to go into that. Joan Collins represents him and then she gets the uh, out on the contract so that the Hamlet production will be financed through the out on the contract to let him out of the production so he can go and do the film.
0: Yeah, but, but... I thought that he had just got a role in the film, but he'd
1: got the role in yeah, the film. Probably. Okay, well that makes. She's, sense. I believe, uh, the the name of the character is Smegma. Yeah, the, He's the, my Smegma.
0: The
1: the, <laughs> the character is called Smegma, which is,
0: I yeah. thought, uh, a, a terrible gag. I don't don't think that works at all. Uh, but it, on the subject of silly names, Celia Imry plays Fadge, <laughs> and there's a lot of gags about. Did did she say Fadge? No, <laughs> Fadge with a F, And then then her
1: the people she really likes, they can just call her F. Which is hilarious. I, I like that. Yes, yeah, was it? fans with a fur? Give it a pho. Give it a pho. A bit early for that. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: uh, Jennifer Saunders gets her name wrong and calls her Snatch, which is one of the good games <laughs> yes. in the movie. It's, it's really terrific.
1: Imri's superb in that.
0: Yeah, she's superb, at the,
1: but I don't think there's anybody who's not superb. Um, well, I think only Jennifer Saunders struggles, because I think she's gone into it... Doing playing it for laughs where nobody else is really pushing it that well, way
0: well the problem with Jennifer Saunders is that she's gone full on with what I think is a Texas accent which is she's a, a comedian of genius mm. I just didn't think she that accent was a good choice she could have done a different American accent but that's a very minor uh, terribly minor little quibble and what I just I was desperate you know I had very little time to fit in this movie before I saw you mm. to do this podcast I thought, oh god I'm going to have to fit this in but when i watched it it wasn't like that it's just like oh i love this movie
1: i loved it this time around it's always quite a while since i've watched it and i got that manufacturer on demand disc and it was sat on my shelf for the better part of a year and then when i went to play it it was in two pieces so i had to buy it again which was really annoying so i finally got around to watching it (laughs) thank god they were still doing it Um, it's
0: honestly i just loved 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 this movie it's got such good art it's if you have the tiniest interest in the theater or uh, familiarity with the theatre and, and its moors, uh, you will love this movie. I, I certainly loved it. I just thought it was tremendous. And w- What is it about... Okay, number one, how did you discover that its existence? I was a
1: sad little Kenneth Branagh fan. Oh, um, I never would have guessed that. Yeah, I really liked what he had done. Now, I'm trying to think of the sequence of events here, but I'm pretty sure that this was done after Peter's Friends. And I really like Peter's friends. Have you seen that one? No, but I'm totally up for it now. I think we should probably use. add it to the list. Um, it's it's not actually written by him. That's written by Rita Rudner. Um, so it's worth you, you a go. say
0: that as though you know who she is because I didn't. well she was a comedian. Uh, she oh. did.
1: She was very big when that film came out, and now just I've not seen sight nor sound of her since. Although Peter's friends again didn't perform terribly well at the box office either. So if he's not doing Shakespeare, it doesn't make a lot of money. But I think his uh, Much Ado About Nothing, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, so you were a Branagh film because of Peter's
1: Friends. Yeah, and there's a lot of people in this film I liked at the time. So John Sessions, who was in uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway at the time, I, I really liked him. I love Richard Brise because I've always been into Good Life. And, uh, Did I say
0: a Browner film? Anyway, you're a big Browner yeah. fan. Yeah. Uh, and so... You just saw this because
1: it's another film by Kenneth Branagh? Yeah. It just seemed like... Oh, it's it's But it was also it's a Christmas film and I like Christmas. Oh, films.
0: it's a really good Christmas film yeah. too. This is a really, really lovely Christmas film and, and it's a, uh, as we're recording this we're heading towards Christmas so it's... it's bloody cold, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so it's really appropriate. Um, are you... Have you ever been involved with the theatre? Have you ever done any plays or, or any, any acting or play production or anything like
1: that? School productions, mainly. Because well, I was incredibly misbehaved at school they decided it was a really good idea one of my teachers to make me a stage manager on school productions
0: and Um, did that were you bitten by the bug the 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 bug of wanting to do plays and be
1: involved in plays yeah um i because
0: that's one reason i love this so much is because of my slight knowledge of an involvement in the theater and i thought you might have something similar
1: I am drawn to creative people who are so passionate about what they're doing that they do it anyway, regardless of yeah, any That's what these people are, because they're, they're yeah.
0: doing it. They're not getting paid. They're sleeping in the church in really amusing cartoon sleeping bags. They, they're, they're only going to get a profit share. We don't think there's going to be anybody in the audience. To the extent that uh, Celia Emery, who's the designer, actually makes cardboard cutouts to sit in the <laughs> audience in case there's nobody there, it's wonderful. Yeah.
1: I, I can't think of anything else to say other than how good this film is. And my notes just say John Sessions is so good.
0: Oh, Every you, few minutes. <laughs> yeah, but Mark Hadfield is great. Um, he's, Nicholas well, he's, Farrell is really good. He's the guy who gets hired yeah. for smegma instead of
1: our hero, Joe, uh, um, Michael Maloney. Hadfield actually, I think, is one of the best of the cast because he has, he has to play this incredibly likeable guy. And he's the only one who doesn't seem to have a personality flaw among the cast and crew. Um, he's the only normal one among a, a bunch of nutters and he's the one that makes all the money to do the flyers and stuff. He has all the ideas. Oh, yeah, that guy, yeah, yeah. everything, yeah. Did, did you not know which one he was? <laughs> well, I,
0: I was trying to think, I thought they it's all It's Vernon
1: were... Spatch, I believe, is his uh, character Spatch. name. If memory yeah. recall, I don't have it written down, but I... <laughs> thought you were referring to the guy,
0: but it's Nicholas Farrell who's like... Yeah, Nick you, Farrell, yeah. Nick, Nicholas Farrell is into... He's the health food and, yeah, yeah and, and, <laughs> and... that, that
1: great um, sequence when they start the read-through and he said, would you mind if we can make this a no-smoking production? And then
0: it's basically a montage of <laughs> smoking, which I was thinking about that when you mentioned, we were talking about carry-on camping. Yeah. And the thing that most shocked your daughter was that people could smoke in cinemas in that yeah. film. Uh, and that's what, what immediately came to mind was this, like the smoking sequence in that. I suppose actors do smoke a lot, but I just thought, poor guy, because I'm totally with him. It was like <laughs> when I was back at the BBC and everybody used to smoke and
1: they said horrible, horrible. But wasn't he smoking by the end as well? I hope not. I think he <laughs> is, because he smokes as his in-character. I can't remember who he plays now, the actual play. He plays uh, Laertes Fortinbras La- yeah So he's smoking a little cigarillo. Uh, cigarillo Laertes oh, Let them, whatever. I can't remember the last line. But, uh,
0: <laughs> but well, the one thing that did strike me is when they eventually do get this ramshackle production together, it looks great. And they really go. It looks like a wonderful production of Hamlet. It's, it's, it looks terrific. I feel the, the audience are maybe more into it than they would be. I'm surprised they got that much of an audience, Yes, <laughs> yeah. but, but it does look like a magnificent production after all those, those terrible things. But I, the dialogue, I haven't really dwelled enough on how witty and sharp and snappy the dialogue is. And it's so much, out. it's really, that sort of repartee
1: of actors is so beautifully done. I think there was definitely a rehearsal period for this one. Unusual for film, but it, it's too polished.
0: It's just great. It's a great ensemble piece. But my big question is, this is one of three films that we saw which are perfect (laughs) friday carry on camping in this and you said that there was a common theme to all three i don't know what
1: it is so this is the big reveal you've actually already hit it unknowingly oh i was hoping so i think you've missed someone in carry on camping so there's 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 an actor who's in all three of these no no uh the coach driver in carry on camping do you remember who played that Oh, I, I, he was sort of this leering
0: young chap who wanted to get off with Barbara Windsor. That's all I remember. Didn't recognise him. I did not. That was Julian Holloway. Okay.
1: Who was in Survival? Oh, so all of these have a Season Twenty Five, Season Twenty season Six—each of got... these has got it. And,
0: and okay, so talk it through for people who don't know about Doctor Who. Well, so I used you, to work on a TV show called Doctor Who. You
1: destroyed Doctor Who in the ninety in the eighties. Oh, I actually revived it. <laughs> yes. And, um, uh, in the first season you did, which was season twenty-four, yeah. you had Richard Bryce as yes. a guest car in right. Paradise Towers. Yeah. In season twenty-five, you had TP McKenna, who was in Perfect Friday. Oh, you did know that. Great Galaxy. Yeah. And then for season twenty-six, you had—I've uh, just said it and I've forgotten already—Julian Holloway, who was in several Carry On films, uh, not a huge role in Carry On. Well, but... I never would have got that because although I would have spotted TP and Richard Bryce, that the third guy would yeah, have I gone under my radar. I mean, he changed a lot over the years. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's your link there. I said you wouldn't like it. What <laughs> d- Wouldn't like the link. I didn't like the, the link between the three films, but boy, did I like this
0: film. It's the best of all them. And you've shown me some good ones. I mean, just to, to summarise, I really liked Kyoma, I really liked Sheena. I really, really liked Perfect Friday, and I thought that would be hard to top, but this effortlessly topped it. I love this movie so much, and I'm going to be looking for a, a copy of the on-demand blue uh, DVD myself fantastic you'd have to
1: order it from the US I'm afraid
0: yeah but listen thank you I love this movie and anybody who's looking for a Christmas movie anybody who's in sort of the slightest bit of a lovey or a theatrical person you've got to watch this movie check it out it's magnificent
1: I'm really pleased you like
0: this I was pleased I did too because I know you want me to like these films and after I, I hated
1: Carry On Camping so much this more than compensated for that it's so good I think it would be presumptuous for me to think that you're going to like every film I show you and this one i didn't think you would enjoy as much so yeah, i um, like this so
0: i like this one so much that uh it it's really makes me feel that this whole project is is even better <laughs> i like doing this podcast with you but now i like it even more because i might get other movies of this caliber. thank you You're welcome. <laughs> This has been a podcast by my friend Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. But very importantly, the music, the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now, is by Joe Kramer. Thank you very much, Joe.
1: He's right, of course. We did look like two silly old tarts. We can't make time stand still, Henry. Those days have gone forever. I suppose so. Fun, though, wasn't it? Oh, yes, it was.